What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. So this episode is starting a little behind schedule. I mean, it doesn't matter by the time you guys hear this. You won't know any of that should happen. But uh, Mike here had to reboot his computer. So Tyler and I were in the conference room here talking Star Wars. And I have no idea if the people that listen to this podcast, our listeners, will think that we're fucking nerds or if they're right on board with us. But we were talking about how terrible the sequel trilogy was, but about how good the animated series are. And I know that makes you sound like a nerd bitch, but it's true. So, you know what? Vampire Diaries and Star Wars The Clone Wars are fantastic. Fantastic. They don't fight anybody. Well, wait, I need to watch the Vampire Diaries. I will. I'll give it a shot. I'm open-minded. Oh, you won't regret it. Dude, I crushed the Clone Wars and Rebels in, like, record amounts of time. Like <laughs> it was, I, I had a, a coworker that was into Star Wars, and he was – he's like, what season are you on? I'm like, I'm on season, like, four already. He's like, are you kidding me? You just started it, like, last week. <laughs> Dude, you give me those 30 minute episodes and i was i was losing sleep over it i was like ah just a, key, a few more episodes getting like four it's... hours of sleep a night just powering through star wars <laughs> can't say i've been bitten by that bug yet i mean i believe it's as good as nick tells me but i just haven't gone down the rabbit hole what star wars yeah Okay, well, I mean, the original trilogy, just classic. Almost everybody's seen it. And all the people that hate Star Wars, uh, coincidentally, have never watched it. And I think I, like, okay, so I was I was five when the prequels came out, episode one. And then I was, what, eight years old when episode two came out. And then 11 when episode three came out. So yeah. the nostalgia for me is, like, I love the prequels. And then as you watch them back when you're growing up, you realize that the prequels were one of the greatest, uh, like one of the greatest fictional political stories ever told. It's here's the Republic and they're being subverted. And the leader of the Republic is taking all of these emergency powers and he's funding and operating both sides of a war to, to consolidate power. And then the Republic becomes the empire and it just slowly morphs into this thing. And like looking back at it, you see the genius. They're so caught up in bureaucracy and they're so, uh, you know, war torn that they grant all these powers and give up their rights until it turns into this thing. So it's, it really is like the story of every empire and, you know, even the U S it's true. It is true. Interesting. So what do you guys think about, um, all of these half-ass mask mandates being lifted? But it's not fully. It's not like, you know, it's, it's only for fully vaccinated. No, no public facilities, no schools like they still they can't just say, like, go back to normal. It has to be like this weird. We're still in control. But and what do you guys make of it? It's <clears throat> I mean, I think I've said it before, like they're just trying they're doing anything in their power to use social pressure to like guilt people into getting the vaccine and you know, they've made it like common to talk about people's medical history. You know, they're like, you know, did you get the vaccine? And like, I don't ask people if they got their tetanus shot, you know, you don't, you don't go before you go take a, take a dump on a toilet, ask the person before you, Hey, do you have herpes? Like, you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just don't, you don't do that. So they've made it like really weird. And I think it's, it's I, fucked. I, I think it's just dumb. They have no power to enforce any of this shit. To me, it's fun. You know, uh, the dog park that we take our dog to, the wife and I, um, you have to prove that the dog has their rabies shots. You have to get tags and then they have to get basically a permit to be at the dog park so they don't bite other dogs and infect them or whatever. And I think that the vaccine is basically becoming like that where when somebody's walking around without a mask on, it's like, does he have his shots? 
because they have his shots. <laughs> like it's they're we're treated like pets, you know. So, um, yeah, I see more and more people going back to normal, um, more normal. And then there are the people that, despite all of the CDC guidelines saying what we've known all along, that obviously if you've had it or if you've had the vaccine, you don't have to wear a fucking mask. But um, there are still the people that are clinging onto it because it's their their nana, it's their blanket that makes them feel safe. Yeah, that's um, you know, so Illinois just announced it today. So our our uh, overlord, JB Pritzker, um, announced like vaccinated people don't have to wear masks. Which once again, how how is this enforced? Are we are we doing the COVID passport, or do we have to walk around with a with a tag, you know, to say we have our shots? Um, but no, it's it's a soft enforcement. It's just like you know, they're they just want to see who's going to listen, really. But they did like. You know, all public facilities still need it, all public transportation and public schools, which that's the one that bothers me the most that I was hoping would be lifted because it makes me sick to my stomach watching my daughter wear a compliance muzzle every day. Now, granted, they have two weeks left of school, but it's like they still can't give us the satisfaction to know we ended the school year without a mask mandate. They won't give it to us. Right. So you're being suspense all summer to find out if next next fall they're going to have to wear the muzzle or not. Yeah, they're going to pull the rug out. I have no doubt in my mind. Just the same way as most employers, since most employers are going to have a really hard time mandating the vaccine because they may end up being liable for any adverse health effects from it because they mandated it. So most employers probably won't mandate it, but what they will do is they'll still make you wear the mask because they don't want to be liable if you get sick with the COVID. So I, I did enjoy this uh, quote by Walter Kern and I shared this on, on Facebook just to upset some folks. And it did, it did, including some relatives. Uh, it said, as the masks go away, a lot of Americans are going to miss the ability to classify shame and despise one another at first sight. And that pretty <laughs> much sums it up for me. Because yeah, it's true. The yeah, weak, true. These weak, low-status people are enjoying their moment of asserting power and dominance over the usual independent, you know, kind of free-spirited types. They, they've never had this moment before, and they're, they're enjoying every second of it. And you best believe they will not give this up without a fight. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I talk to my eight-year-old all the time, and, like, I, I, ask, I try to get a feel of, you know, how, did, how are your peers reacting to this in class? And she's just very clear that they all hate it. They think it's stupid. They don't understand why they can't get too close to each other. They want to know when it's going to end. And they don't feel like they're in danger, at least the group she runs with in our small town, you know. But and I just reaffirmed that. I'm like, yeah, you're. don't be afraid of the air. Don't be afraid to get too close to your friends. This is all just theater. They're just trying to show they're doing everything they can to be safe. But you're in no danger. Please always keep that in your mind. Right. Yeah, it's... I don't, I don't know. It's, it's wild times. And I, I've just come to expect to be let down. <laughs> I think the last time I got my hopes up was when Trump said we were going to be open by Easter in 2020. And then that quickly went up in flames. And from there on out, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I, you know, I, what's don't, funny? I don't have any faith in any of this. What's funny about that statement was when we had uh, the epidemiologist, Dr. Knut Fitkowski on, he said like that would have been the right thing to do was open up back then. Like somebody suggested about Easter. Mm -hmm. And he said that would have got us to herd immunity the fastest. And this guy, I mean, what does he know? He's just an epidemiologist at 35 years and CEO of a medical company. But um, he was saying that would have been the most effective route. And once again, I, I'm not saying I know that for a fact, or like I'm an expert on any of this, but he's the most qualified person I've spoken to since the pandemic broke out and um, had a pretty, uh, pretty com uh, compelling argument well i so, think what's what's going on uh with all of the the lifting i think it's more related to the economy because they're seeing the jobs yeah. report that came out a, a week or two ago that was far weaker than expected we had the single greatest uh month of inflation since 2008 and the single greatest year over year rise in inflation since i think 1981 when they had i mean the only way they combated the inflation of the 70s and early 80s was by Paul Vol Volcker uh, raising interest rates above 20%, which would, Dude, I mean, they, if, they, yeah. if they put, I mean, if they put rates at 5%, 
we're going down the drain. But if they put them at 20%, I mean, we're talking like worldwide economic collapse, like the dollar, you know, the federal government can afford nothing. Like they can't make any of their, like the, the military budget is out the window. Um, or cause they're, they're going to have to resort to printing every penny of it. So the military budget is out the window. The U S empire collapses, social security, Medicare and Medicaid payments done everything. Good everything crashes overnight and we go so into you know, hyperinflation. Shitty, shitty Ponzi scheme. Hey, I mean, yeah, you've been, no, it, you've, it really that actually when, when FDR implemented that, that might've been the time for the uh, American people to get a little, uh little upset. Yeah. Like, Ooh. like borderline 1776 levels of upset with all the <laughs> shit. He put us on this course that there was a path of no return. Oh, it's, it's fucking us almost a hundred years later. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's, seriously, it's, it's mathematically broken where, you know, people it's, it's like the third pillar of American politics where even when uh, Republicans run who call themselves constitutional conservatives, they vow not to touch social security. Like they won't push the retirement age back. They won't say we're going to phase it out, even though, I mean, they're, they're, I'm assuming the true believers understand how, how, you know, futile, it is. I mean, when you look at the the revenue, where even if you talk to somebody, if you talk to anybody about it, and you go, okay, you make the case to me how this was set up to where people collect at the age of sixty five, when back then they only lived to be sixty eight, I think was the average uh, age of death, and the birth rate was expanding in such a way where you had, I think it was twenty employees per retiree. And now it's down to, boy, I think it's uh, six or seven employees per retiree and the birth yeah. rate is still declining. So it's mathematic and people are living way longer. It's mathematically broken. And the two, I think they have a, they call it the social security trust fund, which actually Gene Epstein did a fantastic debate where he debated this woman about uh, social security solvency and, and the security of it. And they have a $3 trillion trust fund full of assets that fund social securities. They go, no, oh, we got this pool where we can keep paying out. Don't you guys worry about that. You know what the, the trust fund is made of what their assets are. Is it all government US, bonds? It's us treasury bonds. So basically yeah. they put this money aside, they spent the money and then wrote themselves an IOU and they go, no, 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 that's in-house debt. That's like if, if you take $20 out of the cupboard from your spouse and you tell them you got them, it's like that. And it's like, what? no, no, it's not. How is that possibly a good analogy? So they spent the money and then they, they put IOUs in there. So essentially it's the scene from dumb and dumber where the mobster guy in the hotel room at the end of the movie, where he's like, he takes the briefcase and he pops it open and all the IOUs come out and he's like, well, wh where's the money? And then uh, Jim Carrey's <laughs> like, those sir are IOUs. Those are just as good as money. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> It's 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 funny that everybody laughs at it when it's in a Hollywood movie, but we treat them as experts when they're doing it with our uh, our socialized retirement fund. I think but, we should. Uh, I think we should jack up the uh, the interest rates to twenty percent. Let's just let's get this show on the road. Because I think it was it Peter Schiff that said it. Like it's better to eat it now than keep the, keep this going. We've already kept it going yeah. too long. You have to get the hangover over with at some point. We can't keep partying. Like there has to be a hangover. We got it. We got to process all the damage, all the bad decisions and, uh, and rebuild and hopefully we can recover. But um, yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't, I don't go for the collapsitarian argument. Cause I, I think that could be a good, very devastating thing to a lot of people. I'll However, I'm not opposed. Well, I mean, it has to happen <laughs> at some point and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess better the sooner the better. It has to be. That's it's, it's not even about it's not even about uh, how anybody feels about it. It's just an inevitability. It's sure. like, right. guys, we have this hurricane coming, and I'm just really anti-hurricane. You know, it's like, okay, uh, who gives a fuck how you feel about hurricanes? There's a hurricane <laughs> coming, so I don't really give a shit how you feel about it. it doesn't really right. matter. But there is the crowd that cheers it on, where it's like. I mean, yeah, I, I see, I see the argument, but it's like it's also kind of naive to underestimate the amount of like actual damage that'll do to a lot of people. And it's really tragic and sad. Oh yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm just right. not denying that there's a hurricane coming, and oh, it's Category 100%. Five. Right. And uh, I've I've made the analogy on the podcast before. I think 
where in Game of Thrones, they're all squabbling over political power. Meanwhile, winter is coming, which comes like once in a generation. And with it comes all of these White Walkers. And they're coming to decimate everybody that's squabbling over who gets to, to claim the throne. So the whole thing is winter is coming. And it doesn't matter how any, like what is going on with our politics because this much greater threat that transcends it is on its way. And that's what, I mean, a lot of people have criticism of Peter Schiff. And I think fairly that he has, uh, you know, hyperinflation is always just around the corner for the last 10 He's years. Chicken He's chicken little. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, People are going to, and then they say, well, yeah, a broken clock is right twice a day. So when this disaster happens, well, of course, you know, Peter Schiff has been saying it's, it's a month away for a decade and it's like, okay, that's fair. And that's true. However, he did say it was coming when all of these other economists and mainstream pundits are saying that everything is solid and it's not going to happen. So he was more right, even though he's, you know, trying to be Nostradamus with a timestamp. But uh, at least he's saying it is going to happen. They're denying that it's even going to happen or that it's here. That's fair. True. So um, anyways, I did want to let you guys know, and this will be available to anyone who's going to Freedom Fest. We are making our own T-shirts. Um, we're going to do them in-house, actually. We, we're going to get them made and then realize my wife has a cricket, which she can make the logo. And then we just had to buy a um, you know heat press to do shirts. So we ordered that up. And uh, they're in the works. So Tyler should have one for his uh, appearance at Childerberg. And we should uh, go ahead and possibly even sell a couple at ours. So do you guys like the slogan idea for the back? What was it again? Raw dogging? <laughs> no, it's so we have the pulse of the wall logo on the front. And on the back, it says it feels so much better without a mask. Oh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought so. I knew it was something related to raw dogging. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just about raw dogging, but it's just as, uh, you know, but it's PG raw dogging. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to get those made and uh, we'll have them at Frida Fest and maybe get them on a, a website one of these days if we can we're gonna, our, yeah, we, build in. We're going to, we're going to get, we need to get some yoga pants for the Freedom MILFs too. <laughs> those aren't cheap. It's, it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about the yoga pants idea. I think that's got some yeah. legs. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I did want to do a uh, propaganda of the week for you guys. Do you want to take a take a gander at that now? Let's do, Let's it. do it. Angel of darkness is upon you. Stuck a need on Health officials are getting creative in how they convince hesitant Americans to get the COVID vaccine. According to the CDC, the daily average for vaccinations has dropped 20% since the start of the month. A worrying trend. Omar Villafranca is following this for us in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Omar, good morning to you. In West Virginia, they will actually give you a $100 savings bond if you get the shot. What incentives are being offered there where you are? Well, Tony, they're still doing mass vaccination sites like this one here behind me. But for some people, it's just not convenient. So they're doing things like shots for shots. And think of that as a vodka for a vaccine at the bar. And they're having to get creative because less than one third of Louisiana's population has received the first dose. Where did you get your first shot? I got it at a local bar. (laughs) 23-year-old Brandon Bro went to a bar with friends and ended up vaccinated. It was a shot-for-shot nights. In Baton Rouge, the Shots-for-Shots program is run by Relief, a telehealth company. The Shots program came to this bar on Tuesday night where bartender Curtis Johnson had a shot waiting for him. Moderna, straight from the syringe. Why didn't you go to a vaccination site or a doctor's office? Well, the convenience is what spoke to me most today. The fact that it's literally five feet away from me. I work late nights. I've either just never found the time or just been too exhausted to go out. That type of convenience makes a difference in reaching the unvaccinated, says Relief CEO Vishal Vasanji. People trust people that they're familiar with. And so, you know, if we're friends, I could come to you and say, hey, the process was easy. Here's what it is. And it might get you one step closer to getting vaccinated. But success varies by night. At Soji, only a handful of people got the shot. Do these type of events help, even if it's just a few people? They do. They absolutely do. Dr. Joseph Cantor is the Louisiana State Health Officer. 
Right now, his state is administering less than 70% of the first doses delivered from the federal government. We're taking the kitchen sink approach here. No idea is bad. Every idea is worth considering. Cantor says when it comes to the vaccine hesitant, most are not against vaccination. Most people just have questions. They're on the fence. They want to talk it out. They want to wait and see. It's all about empowering trusted messengers in communities. Cantor says the best messenger tends to be people's own doctors. Okay. And that's the case for 42-year-old Katie Oligood, who has not gotten vaccinated. Are you a hard no? No, I'm not a hard no. You're not a hard I'm no. I'm not a hard no. I was a hard no initially. I believe in science and I believe in math. <laughs> don't know how I feel about the vaccine. I don't get flu shots, but our kids are fully vaccinated, so it's not that. So that's just kind of where I am. State health officials admit that people are tired of hearing from the government telling them to come get a shot. So now they're trying to move their message to new people, church leaders, so they can get that message on Sunday. And the Saturday football faithful, they want to get people involved with LSU football to try to get that message out. Keep in mind, LSU football and SEC football is pretty big down here in Louisiana. And okay, so first of all, you know, I get, I get a, a quarter percent commission for all Pfizer, Moderna, and J&J vaccines. So I don't know, you do the math, cocksucker, how many, a quarter percent of 200 million shots I'm making mad bank. And, uh, you know, this is it's really something we got to get it into the churches, the football teams. I don't give a shit who, you know, everybody, everybody's got to get the shot because Daddy Fauci's bank account depends on it. <laughs> so my favorite part, make no mistake, these are the people who brought you the Me Too movement. Their new idea is let's premeditatively target people who are inebriated and yeah. coerce them into making <laughs> an irreversible health decision while they are <laughs> under the influence and unable to drive a vehicle. Let's sell them on an irreversible medical procedure. I guarantee you the five people that they said at that one bar that got it were all people that just did like six tequila shots. Yeah. No, <laughs> They're so like, you want to get a shot? What are they like, what a, whatever. You know, like, it's is like, it, is it safe to get a, a, a I, shot? I don't think like anything put in my blood when I'm drinking. Like I wouldn't want anything in my bloodstream. Like if you have no, alcohol, your like, blood you spinned a, out. You know what I would tell right. Yeah. And you're going to be hung <laughs> over the next morning. It's I'd be like, I'd be like, all right, I'll get this shot if you go get me a pack of menthols. <laughs> I'll suck this, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but, dude, I just could, like, I heard about that and I was like, wow. Like, so there can there at least be a Me Too movement for people who got drunk and got vaccinated? Be like, I had no idea what I was doing. All my friends talked me into it. I, I, I didn't even realize it, you know, like, it. Like seriously, wait till you get, wait till they're they, on people who lowered their yeah. inhibitions and are not in no. the right mind. Is that right? Judgment. It's it's it's. They're sticking rape. something in me. They're sticking a fluid in you against your your will that would not be there if you were sober. They, who knows? They might say I need an anal swab. Now, too. is the person who's giving you the shot also drunk? Because that changes things. <laughs> walk out of the bar with a needle in your forehead <laughs> you have to make sure you're covered listen we were both hammered i gave him the shot okay i mean yeah we were uh -huh. on a level playing field okay i wasn't super happy about it either but things happen when your inhibitions get lowered i love the the propaganda of like oh it's just a convenience thing people work during the day they don't have time so like we're just gonna go to the bar where you know obviously there's no I reason why they, their judgment would be different here. I bet you they gave that bartender. They're like, here's a thousand dollars. If you let us film you getting the shot. Right. Or it's just a college town. So it's a young kid who's probably leaning left that was ready to get vaccinated anyways. So take the corn syrup. Oh, it's just hysterical. And then, yeah, the thing like, oh, we're just, they're tired of hearing, they're tired of being propagandized by the governments. Now the government wants to propagandize the churches and the sports. <laughs> Like there's going to change the avenues of propaganda. It's well, they said that like, this stuff wasn't working in the South and like urban communities. Yeah. They, they're like, it's been totally ineffective. And I'm like, uh, yeah, what, what did you expect after people realized what the hell you did with the Tuskegee experiment? But never has the, uh, I mean, this is only our third propaganda of the week, but the, the, the Skinner song leading into it was perfect for that one. <laughs> Stuck a needle in your arm. You fool, you. 
Do they uh, yeah, they have to have you sign some type of form or something? Oh there's, yeah, because there's no if, way. There's no I, way I that you can just walk up after like 17 beers and just be like, "Yeah, give me one of those." And I'm telling you right now, that's never my first idea. That wouldn't be even be on my mind when I was drunk. I wouldn't be like, "I want to get vaccinated." No, I'd be like, "Where's where can I get tacos?" Mm-hmm. Like, or where can I get more booze? Yeah, I'm going to sing some Pearl Jam at karaoke, and then I'm going to yeah. go find a Euro somewhere at one in the morning. Yeah, That's what exactly. I'm like. I want to get a shot. Second of all, it's not a very sanitary environment. You know, it's like when you get a yeah. medical procedure done, you want shit to be sterile and clean, and you want privacy. A bar is the last place in the world I'd Especially ever want to get Especially a college anything. town bar. Yeah. Yeah. You probably, yeah. You probably get covid when they when they pull out the needle and your wound is open for that split second, you probably get COVID and AIDS. <laughs> like, dude, co- like college town bars are like, it's, it's the grime. Next thing they're gonna be going to like frat houses. They're gonna be like, <laughs> I don't know. If, just yeah, you get now, if you we get were a, them, a beer bong and a joint for a jab. If, if we were them, I think it would be a lot of fun to come up with different campaigns to get every last person vaccinated. Honestly, I could see why they're doing it. It seems like a lot of fun. Like, you know, they have a game going, you know, at the CDC or wherever, WHO. Like, they're trying to see whose campaign gets the most hesitant people vaccinated. You could have fun with it. I, I think so. Did you catch the part where they said... uh People under uh, between age sixteen and thirty-five can get a hundred-dollar treasury bond if they get the vaccine. Like they're also doing that. What you were just talking about with the IOUs, like they're giving yeah. IOUs out to people. Do you want my worthless bucks. toilet paper? <laughs> my toilet paper <laughs> IOU. It only a hundred dollars. It's like here, go be a guinea pig for a hundred dollars. If they and- give me a pallet full of gold bars, like a pallet full of them, I'll do it. But I'm only getting the Johnson and Johnson because I want blood clots. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, crazy world we live in, but that's, that's normalized. And my favorite part about all of this is how the Occupy Wall Street crowd has somehow transitioned into freelance unpaid salesmen for three big pharma companies. Yeah. Same people. It's such a fall from grace for the left. Remember when like after 9-11, they were so anti-war and so resistant to, like, the government and all this stuff. Like, they actually stood for something. And now they're just a bunch of pathetic mouthpieces for the state. They're, they're embarrassing. They, they need – like, I honestly, like, like we talked about with Aaron, I would rather them be full-on Marxist-Leninists because mm-hmm. at least they'd fucking stand for something. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, some of the Bernie bros like, – I, I got one buddy in particular who's – he, he, you know, he's kind of a left anarchist and he's pro 2A just because he's gone all the way left. And um, he's not getting the vaccine either. He didn't vote for Biden because he knew what they did to to uh, Bernie. So I'm like, there's still the, the fringe crowd over there that isn't buying all the bullshit. So you, you got to find those guys and ally with them. That's the, the diagonal unity we need to work with. It's true. <laughs> so there's an account on Twitter called Biden voters posting their L's. And all it is is just them just sharing people like saying, well, I can't believe I voted for this guy. I thought he was going to change things. <laughs> he, he changed a lot of things. Because he, like he just sold like $75 billion worth of weapons to Israel. And they're like, I thought he was different. <laughs> God, it's, it's pathetic. But. Yeah, no, I, I – uh, but I mean with the Biden administration, um, when I was uh, – I think actually Curtis Yarvin made this point that if you're a Trump supporter, Biden winning the election this past year was not the worst thing in the world because when the wheels come off, just the way the public thinks, like we understand people who listen to this podcast understand that when the economy starts circling the drain, which it's doing right now, uh, when that happens, that this is the result of decades of bad monetary policy and fiscal policy and all of these things and trade. And this isn't just, oh, Biden decided to raise capital gains tax and now the economy crashes and we have hyperinflation from his stimulus bill. Even though, I mean, he's, don't get me wrong. I mean, both Trump and Biden were were uh, hypocritical spenders. But 
I mean, Biden really stomped on the gas when it came to the spending. Like you want, he has two separate $2 trillion bills that he yeah. wants passed right now, the stimulus and then infrastructure. And, uh, and, and, you know, Republicans are going to just say, oh, look at Biden, you know, all of a sudden we're concerned about the deficit again. So it's really whoever's at the wheel when the wheels come off is who's going to be held responsible in the minds of the American public. When in reality, it's been a bipartisan effort for decades that has been leading up to this. So when it come, when the wheels come off, it's not the worst thing that Biden is sit there looking confused. And, uh, and, and people blame it on him, you know, I mean, it's not, not a bad thing, but that's why I think thing. with the mask mandates and everything, they're probably influencing the CDC. They're saying, okay, we got to get people back to work. We have to, you know, get this inflation under control. So let's get our productivity up. But you could tell that's kind of the thought process behind it. Oh yeah. It was purely political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, those are the kind of people, though, that you say, like, well, they don't pay attention, but they're very emotional and, and quick to react when something volatile and fast does happen. But <clears throat> and then people like us and people who listen to this podcast, we pay attention to this stuff, even in the off season. like compared to sports. Like, like I'm not going to weigh in my opinion about March Madness because I can't even name like more than five college basketball teams, period. Like, I don't know anything about the sport of basketball. I know nothing about. Uh, college basketball, and I know nothing about March Madness. So I'm not going to get emotionally invested and start like putting my opinion on social media during March just because it's the thing that's in. Yet everybody feels the need to do that during an election year. And um, I was talking to a buddy of mine last week, talking to him, uh, telling him about the podcast. And I was like, well, basically, this is no different than if we were a bunch of sports nuts. Like me and my buddies, we're really into this stuff. We're really into economics. We're into the current events. We're into the the history um, of the country and, and how all this progressed. And we really enjoy talking about it. I said, it's just like if you're talking about NFL or NBA or anything like that, the only difference is this is much more divisive. It's can be dangerous if you cross a line and could get you fired if you say the wrong thing. Cause it's, it's just like such controversial stuff to have different opinions on, but it's all tribalism. It's no different than sports. In, True. in, uh, the MMA fandom community, we have a word for people who simply jump in for the big moments and, and are super opinionated. They're called filthy casuals. And uh, right now our country with political discourse is mostly populated by filthy casuals. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, an allegory I think makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, I do think like Joe Rogan's made the point where, you know, most people just don't have time. Like, or they don't want to make time because you, I mean, look at how many hours we've spent, whether it's reading or listening or watching to like learn more. Like most people don't want to dedicate that time. They'd rather watch Kim Kardashian twerk on YouTube or, you know, watch a TV show or read a, a book about anything else. Cause I mean, yeah. politics is kind of boring. Well, here's, here's what gets me is when, when somebody is very opinionated and you have a piece of information that is really compelling, that presents a counterpoint of view and people are just not interested in seeing it. I, I every time I talk to somebody uh, or if somebody's talking about climate change, I'll talk about nuclear energy because it's, I mean, if you're worried about carbon emissions, it's the single greatest thing we could do is, you know, transition to nuclear and we would greatly reduce CO2, which I, I'm not sold that it's actually the worst thing in the world, you know, <laughs> basically plant food. But what do I know? I'm not pretending to have the answers. But I do know that nuclear energy is a fantastic energy source. And with modern technology, it's actually a really small, uh, the idea that something's going to go catastrophically wrong is really small. And when you tell people about nuclear energy, or I'll say, I'll send them a, a YouTube link or something like, Hey, you should check this out. It's a presentation on nuclear yeah. energy. Yeah. And there's even the, uh, there's a, uh, this new element or I don't know if it's an element or a compound or whatever the fuck. I don't, I'm not, I, unlike that lady in the video, I don't, I don't follow science. I just know a little bit, but uh, thorium <laughs> is a new thing where apparently it's exponentially safer than uranium. And, uh, traditional forms of, of nuclear power. And they're not interested in the slightest. It's like, wait, if you actually care about this, 
I'm not even saying that you have to agree with me. I'm asking you to just hear this out. I'm not the one telling you about it. I'm appealing to people who actually are nuclear physicists and shit. And they're just, they're disinterested in hearing it. So Mm -hmm. I don't really believe that you're passionate about this because you're not even the slightest interested in hearing anything else. So you want to hear something to the, even the white house is rejecting what you just said, Nick. The White House environmental justice advisors express opposition to nuclear and carbon capture projects. So they have an environmental justice advisory now in the White House. So that's good. We got a lot going for us. Yeah. So they uh, they don't want to do anything that involves nuclear carbon capture or expanding the capacity for fossil fuel production, despite gas shortages and everything else. So they they want you to suffer. And they want you to uh, be poor and taxed to death. Is the environment racist yet? Oh Um, yeah. No, that's yeah. No, that's, that's out there. That is out there. Yeah. Something about how hurricanes wipe out people in India or whatever more disproportionately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because of, because of Charlottesville, it's all connected, man. They're like (laughs) the biggest conspiracy theorists. (laughs) They're bigger than conspiracy theorists than Alex Jones or anybody. Like they think that everything comes back to white supremacy. Like the white supremacists are what the kind of fringe anti-Semitic, you know, conspiracy theorists are like, they're the same thing. Everything comes back to white supremacists. Did you, uh, you, you mentioned it too. I forgot to comment in that video where that, that woman said like, Oh yeah, I was a hard no, but now I'm open. You know, I believe in science. I believe in masks. It's like, yes, I too believe in science. I believe in math and history and, and all sorts of topics. Like what, what does this mean? Yeah. I believe in science. Like, yeah. The question is what, how do you extrapolate the information presented? That's exactly like, like, I believe in math. Like most people don't understand data. They don't understand how, like, they don't work with it on a regular basis. And the data has been meticulously cherry picked to present the story that the CDC and those government bureaucrat shitheads want to present. Um, you know, and they're doing the same with all this environmental stuff too. It's all been cherry picked because like, unless you go to charts, they and score a free ebook from Tom Woods. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You know, this whole like the the first country that embraces like the gen, I think it's fifth gen nuclear reactors. Because like right now, there's only a few fourth gens out there, and a lot of our reactors are old. You know, like they're second, third gen. We haven't. I don't think we've built many new ones past like the '90s, maybe. But anyways, if they the first countries that embrace nuclear power to its full potential are going to, are going to be the ones that get ahead. So uh, there's, there's wars that have been fought over energy. This is so Matt Ridley had the book, how innovation works. And he was talking about, he had a whole chapter on nuclear history and believe it or not, there is government red tape that keeps that technology from evolving since the Mm -hmm. 1980s. It's there's so much red tape and regulation that in order to like re-alter a design or come up with something that's innovative and new, it would be so radically expensive to get it all passed through all the government regulation that there's no incentive. They just stop and go like, it's not worth, like it's working. We could probably make it better now, which 40 years later, but it would cost a behemoth of money for a government to approve something different to be changed on a nuke plant. So that's why that technology has been frozen since the eighties. And it's wild because that should be going, that should be increased with all this other technology just as fast. Yeah. Can we, can while we're on the topic of energy, we, can we have a bitch of the week segment? Because I, I, sure. you guys are aware of this. I'm sure most of the listeners are at this point. But Elon Musk saying that Tesla is no longer accepting Bitcoin as a payment for their vehicles because of Bitcoin mining uses electricity and electricity is, you know, mostly made by coal burning where it's like, OK, I don't know the actual metrics of how much electricity is used in Bitcoin mining. I think it's maybe like 0.01% of all energy that, like, that goes towards that. 
And it's like, dude, your cars run on electricity. Do you think they're all windmills and solar that are making your cars run? Right. It's such yeah, nonsense. Good. And he's obviously, I don't know if he's being coerced or if this is just, he figures that he's reached the end of his pump and dump because I'm really torn on Elon Musk. And sometimes I think that, okay, this guy is red pilled. He gets it. He's one of the good guys. And then you realize just how blatantly selfish he is when it comes to, you know, pumping up Dogecoin which God knows how much he has and he bought when it was really small and, uh, and then decided to triple his money or quadruple however early he got in because he could do that. Elon Musk could make billions by just buying some no-name cryptocurrency and then just tweeting its name and then watch it go up a thousand percent in an hour and then he could just cash out. And yeah. why wouldn't he do that? Like he's obviously you know in it for himself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not real big on him uh at the moment i'm a little upset with him over that that tweet because it's it's stupid it's it's hypocritical and stupid but also he uh fuck i just lost my train of thought there for a second so he you know he's doing this this pump and dump stuff but i do enjoy the fact that uh michael burry the investor who famously made a wad of cash off the 2008 mortgage crisis is currently holding a massive short on Tesla. So Ooh. keep an well, eye on that. You know, I mean, when Jason Stapleton was on here, the, the fact like Tesla's stock price, like they, they lose money on every car they make. It, it's mm -hmm. such a, like he's, his stock is worth more than the next nine Audi manufacturers combined. And it's because they sell electric vehicle credits that they get from the federal government because they have an excess because they make only electric vehicles. So all the other car producers buy credits, these electric vehicle credits from Tesla to meet government quotas. They, they made $2 billion last year. Arbitrary red tape bullshit. Like that's what Tesla actually sells. I have heard the argument that they're a technology company, not a car company. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sold yet. I. I don't. I mean, granted, their cars are. I mean, they're. They're awesome. They. They look cool. They're. I would say at this point, they're pretty far ahead of any of the big auto manufacturers in terms of appearance and performance for electric vehicles. But I don't know, man. I. I. I I've been saying for a few years that I think the stock should be shorted. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. It's worth. I, I don't see how it's worth more than Ford, GM, all these other companies, or Toyota, whatever. Mm -hmm. Even if they're a technology company and that's the justification for their stock price and valuation and everything, shouldn't they be profitable? Isn't it? It's weird. Companies, I think, I don't know if Twitter is profitable or not. I think they are now maybe, but I knew that for a while, Facebook was the only social media company that was profitable because Snapchat has been losing money every year since their inception where people are just, they have all this investor money because people think that one day they're gonna be profitable once they can figure mm -hmm. out how to monetize. And I think that is the biggest bubble. Like what percentage of, you know, what does the US make? It's like we make agriculture and we make technology and none of our, not none of our, but most of our technology is either not profitable or it's very little profit involved. And I think that's the big bubble. I think we have a, a big tech bubble ironically, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I just, I don't get it. I don't buy the idea that Tesla is actually that valuable. Yeah. Well, they're not like Apple, like, you know, Apple's sitting on like a war chest of, mm -hmm. of money. Like Apple's a, a profitable company that is loaded with cash. Like they have surplus cash. So if they run through hard times or they can fund R and D, they can do whatever. Like that's mm -hmm. a company you want to invest in. There was a stat that a couple years ago it said Apple has enough cash on hand to buy like the NBA, MLB, the NFL, like all the major sports or leagues, NASA, and then like a bunch of other ridiculous shit like Pepsi. I don't know. It was a ton of massive corporations and still have like X amount of billion in the bank. Like it's unfathomable how much money they actually they're worth and they have on hand. Like they're, they're worth way more than the U.S. government by far. Yeah. Wait, they're they're their revenue wait no i mean well so even before covid i mean the federal government was spending like four and a half they get what three and a half trillion dollars of tax revenue every year i mean 
They they definitely have more. They're more liquid. They definitely yeah, so are like, cash available or something. Let me see. If I can right. Find okay. It. So because in terms of in terms of revenue, I mean, the federal government is actually the most. They're the most broke ass bitches in the world. Because who else is that much in debt? Like they have the lowest net worth of any institution in history. When you think of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really think about it. Like who has ever been that broke? Nobody. They're no. just they're broke, but they you know make enough money to to pay the bills. Also, I remember the other point I was going to make about Elon Musk um, is that he wants to talk about Bitcoin mining being so dangerous to the environment. Do you guys know who the number one polluter in the world is? Uncle Sam's uh, military. Yep, exactly. No one wants to talk about that, though. They want to save the yeah. world, but no one wants to talk about that. Not at all. continues to blow my mind that not one environmentalist. Yeah, so you know it's just stuff going on with with both uh Tesla, you know, all that uh stuff going on with them with the electric vehicles and then this pipeline getting shut down. You know what gets no airtime that Nick and I have quite a bit of experience with is compressed natural gas vehicles. I don't know how this has been like such a well kept secret, but the big three and Honda have made them from the factory since the mid nineties. Nick and I drove on natural gas for years at a time. We both had um, ex-squad car, Crown Vicks. Mine ran on gasoline and natural gas. You just flip a rocker switch and could switch fuels. Nick's Crown Vic ran only on natural gas. His motor never saw a drop of gasoline. And great performance, great gas mileage, way cleaner than anything. Um, like you can go 15,000 miles without changing your oil. And you go to change it and it still looks like brand new oil. It's just broken down. So you change it. There's no carbon. So it still looks like honey after 15,000 miles. Um, and these are made from the factory, but all the cars that we bought that were uh, built to run on it were all ex government cars. They never offered it to the public. It was like government vans, government trucks and cop cars. Yeah. And if, if we hit another, um, I mean, if, if oil really goes crazy here, then I'm buying a, uh, I'm going to get a CNG, uh, Cavalier or Crown Vic or something, or they make, uh, they make Honda Civics that are, that are CNG. And where I work in Wisconsin, um, every quick trip has, a has natural gas quick fills. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. And I think the octane rating is something, the equivalent's like 130 octane. So you could get away running crazy compression, um, if you wanted to change the heads and pistons and everything and make more power. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's weird that it never became more widely adopted, but a lot of municipal vehicles do use CNG. You'll see a lot of, if you pay attention, you'll see a lot of uh, like city vehicles or even dump trucks and buses in cities that use them um, a lot of times because they are lower emissions. So they help a lot with uh, smog in densely populated areas. Yeah. <clears throat> It was a. It, we have so much natural gas in North America too. Yeah, well, that's so the thing. Yeah. Is that was the argument because we started digging into it heavily. My my dad's been running on it. He's still on it for probably going on fifteen years now, thirteen, fifteen years. And it's um, we've done a lot of research and talked to a lot of the biggest names in the in the conversion industry, and they they said like the government says we don't have the infrastructure to sustain it. It's like bullshit. Every house has natural gas. Like that's where we were filling up is my dad bought a compressor and it would do like one gallon per hour. So you get home, you plug your car in like a battery charger, you wake up in the morning, you got a full tank. It was, and it costs like 45 to 60 cents a gallon by the time you factor in the electricity for the compressor and the natural gas. So it was back when gas was high. I mean, it, it saved me a ton of money when I was in, uh, when we were in trade school. Oh yeah. Cause if you spend, if you spend 200 bucks a month on gas, I mean, and you can get that down to 30 or 40 bucks. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's like having, that's a, a car payment. That's a, you know, $10,000 car payment every month that you're saving. And you do yeah. that for a couple of years. Think about how much money you're banking. You could buy some rapidly depreciating Bitcoin and then, you know, it shoots back up. And even if it doesn't shoot back up, you still save money. Yeah. And that's, I'll probably still be on it right now. My, my only reason is my house where I live now is on propane. So, and you can run motors on propane, but it's just so expensive right now. So, and it makes less power. So that's why I find myself with a Prius. Unfortunately, <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Do you have a, a coexist sticker on it? No, I say mine's the only Prius in existence without any bumper stickers. That's how you know it's mine when you see it. 
I thought about doing like all like Ron Paul 2012 and just <laughs> all kinds of uh, just libertarian stuff that they would that you'd never see on a Prius. But <laughs> I don't I just don't like like, you know, pissing anybody off on the road. I just want to blend in and not be recognized. Yeah, I, I try to go like as inconspicuous as possible. Yeah. That's why I just I drive a generic soccer mom mobile. No, no political stickers on it. No, nothing. Actually, if you really want to be inconspicuous, you'd put like a LGBTQ plus sticker on there. <laughs> they can't pull you over then. <clears throat> yeah. You're immune. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I think I'm the only guy in, uh, that owns a Prius that also has a full-size Chevy pickup and a, uh, a antique Buick that shoots raw fuel out of the tailpipes just to shoot <laughs> light on fire for fun. So I think I own that demographic exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think you should, you know, to, to kind of stick with it, you should at least get a MacBook. So that yeah. way you can maybe maybe pick up Starbucks. I don't know. Yeah. That, that would help you blend in with the Prius crowd too. Yeah. It'd make up for you owning a truck. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's Nick had to dip out. He, uh, we ran a little late today, so Nick had to hop off. But I guess we can... Call it a little early episode. You got anything else you want to close on? Uh, we can end on on some some interesting news here, and this is about the last thing I got. Um, I, CNN decided to cut ties with a writer who had praised Hitler for years. So CNN says it has cut ties with a writer who took to social media to praise Adolf Hitler and his admiration for the Nazi leader who killed more than six million Jewish people was well-established prior to this weekend's social media post. He was a Pakistani-based CNN contributor whose byline has appeared on the network's website at least 54 times. So he wrote in a now-deleted post, the world today needs a Hitler. And they said, due to his abhorrent statements, we will not be, he will not be working with CNN in any capacity again. Now, this is just one of several praising Hitler and criticizing it Israel in very controversial terms. He's been doing this as far back as 2014. So I'm wondering, uh, he's, he's, he claims on his LinkedIn account that he has been contributing to CNN for more than seven years. So I, CNN, they, I mean, they were calling Donald Trump a fascist, but they had one working for him. Yeah, I mean, what's their vetting process there? <laughs> no, right? It's like, I mean, he's he's a verified user on Twitter, just throwing out just pure hate. Wow, <laughs> dude, yeah. I don't know. They're just they're a propaganda machine. They don't have principles or morals. So, no, they you know, not. I mean, the Nazis didn't know how to propagandize people, so maybe that's why he was there. Yeah, maybe they 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 found him useful for that, I guess. Yeah, but. So anyhow, that's that's all I got uh, today. Yeah. So you'll be at Childerberg, right? Uh, Yes, sir. A couple more weeks here. Getting pretty close. Yeah. Got to get you your t-shirt made. Um, And then we, uh, yeah, we have Freedom Fest, July 21st through 24th, Rapid City, South Dakota. Please uh, come on out and see us there. And yeah, like and follow on Twitter. Um, Paul's to the, Paul's Paul's to the walls with a Z on the wall. Z, yep. And Tyler's at Schlitz underscore beer. And please rate and review on iTunes. I won't harass you this time. Just you know what to do. Yeah. And if, if you, if any freedom milfs out there want yoga pants, you got to let us know. We got to get some yeah. market feedback. The market will, will provide with proper feedback. Freedom milfs, come to uh, Freedom Fest and you will get yourself a free set of Pulse to the Wall yoga pants. Peace. There you go.